Welcome to the local podcast. I'm your host, Clay Berkland, Director of Ag Banking at Pioneer Bank and Trust. My guest today on the local podcast is Denver Gilbert. Denver is an owner and associate broker with Clark & Associates Land Brokers, uh, Denver being based out of Billings. Denver, welcome to the local podcast. Thanks, Clay. It's good to see you. I'd tell people how long we've known each other, but give away our age, and I think we still have some, some people thinking we're in our late 30s. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> it has been a while. I do appreciate you being on today, and I think we're hopefully we're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, I'd ask you to roll it back a long ways. Tell me where you got started, where you came from, and, and where you've gotten to at this point in your life. Oh, it's kind of a long and windy road, but I started in Harding County up in Buffalo, South Dakota. Uh, born and raised there, generations deep. Went uh, to Laramie, University of Wyoming, for my college education. After that, I did a couple different things. Was home for a while. Uh, started a construction business in the oil fields in Wyoming for a few years. Uh, I sold out of that in 04, 05. And then uh, my two partners, Corey Clark and Mark McNamee, called me up and asked me what I was up to. And I didn't really have a big plan at the time. And they said, we'll get your real estate license and we'll, we'll get into real estate. And Corey and Mark were already in real estate. So I did get my license and we formed Clark and Associates Land Brokers. That's not something 15-year-old Denver probably saw coming as a career path? No, 15-year-old Denver didn't have a lot of long-term goals or plans. <laughs> but uh, knowing the right people and being in the right spot at the right time has helped me quite a bit. That's developed into a fairly large entity and animal to manage, hasn't it, the, the real estate business for you? Yeah, it, we started slow. Uh, we It was just the three of us. Uh, we were in four states to begin with, Montana, Wyoming, North and South Dakota. We're now in six states. We've added Nebraska and Colorado. Uh, at any given time, we've got 15 to 20 people working with us. It's it's become easier to manage through the use of computers and cell phones yeah. and everything, but it's I still put on eighty to a hundred thousand miles a year driving. Do you have a target demographic of folks that you're selling to, or real estate that you're selling to, or do you? Will yeah. you jump into about any pond there is? We do. We stick pretty much primarily with uh, farm and ranch, mm-hmm. and we do a lot of work in the in eastern montana eastern wyoming and western dakotas as well as western nebraska and you started doing that in 07 uh 05 is when we got in is when when you got in 05 yeah and it was tough sledding first couple of years just getting going as any business is that way and then we hit 08 where everything crashed but you know we were we were young enough and and new enough and didn't have a lot of overhead and we survived and kept going. And since then, it's it's been real good. We've we've been very fortunate. So you've seen a, a down, and now it's come back up here for the last few years. Are you seeing any trends in sales right now? Uh, Not so much. I tell you, the biggest problem we have right now is inventory. Uh, there's still a lot of people interested in land. It, it'll always be a good value. Uh, a lot of people are buying property to hold as part of their yeah. part of their portfolio. But where we stick with production, farm, and ranch, you know, when they, more often than not, when they buy the place, they're going to operate it themselves. Begs the question for me, I guess, uh, the side of the desk that I sit on, we get a lot of questions. uh, When is land going to be too high and should we buy land? And I mean, your perspective is about 180 degrees different from mine. So I'd like, I'd like to hear your side of it. Why should we buy land today? Well, they only made so much land. Um, 
being able to pay for land with a cow, for example, we passed that mark several years ago. Um, the outside influence is here to stay. There's a lot of people that have made a lot of money in the last 10 years. And that money, they're looking to reinvest in something that's safe. And land is at the top of that category. Do the people you sell to typically have some history in production agriculture and expanding? or they? I would say we have probably a 70%, 70% of our clientele as far as buyers go. Yes, they do have uh, a prior experience in either farming or ranching. Yeah. Uh, the other 30% are, are pure investors, hands off. They'll turn around and lease ground back. But I think that's probably gained more momentum, that, that demographic, you know, mm-hmm. that 30% that's strictly investment. That has gained a lot of ground in the last three to five years. Another question I have for you, the, the Yellowstone impact on the ag industry in the last five years, or four years, however long that series has been out, has been pretty significant in terms of, you know, interest in Western culture, uh, Western clothing, uh, going to horse shows, team ropings, you name it. Are you seeing some impact of that if people just think Montana is the place to be regardless? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when that show first came out, we started getting calls up there in Montana for people that were looking for the Yellowstone Ranch. And most of that is from Billings West in the yeah. trees, you know, but indirectly there will be people that will sell ranches in that area and they'll move further east and buy another ranch yeah and then those sellers will move further east and buy a ranch so it's a ripple effect but yes we still call it the yellowstone effect (laughs) how much momentum do you think that has and how long might that last it's got a lot of momentum still uh i would say for sure the next 12 to 24 months you know it's it's still very strong so if folks are selling a place and taking that cash and reinvesting in another one, that, you know, obviously the interest rate cycle has taken a run up here in the last eight months, pretty steep run up. Does that impact, has that impacted your sales trends much yet, or is that enough cash transaction happening that it hasn't had that great of impact? Interest rates, they do have some to do with our transactions, but not a lot. Yeah. You know, more so in the home buying, obviously. Yeah. In the land, it's typically cash in hand, 1031, things like that. Uh, A lot of producers anymore are pretty solid too. So when they go to the bank, regardless of interest rates, they can still sit down and borrow money to expand. We were both kids in the 80s and saw all that that mostly down, and and then it did start to come back towards the end of the 80s. Uh, People still fear that when you talk to them, or have we entered new age where we understand what we're buying and what the market really is. You know, I just had a conversation here this morning with a guy about that, and he is actually a few years older than we are. <laughs> he's in the he's in the lending world, and he said, you know, uh, and I agreed with him, agriculture, production agriculture is still an aging industry. There's not as many younger generation people in it there's still a lot of people out there that vividly remember the 80s. And they're a lot more conservative. But I can show you a lot of people right now that are younger that don't remember the 80s. And they don't have that kind of experience. And they are very bold. They are very brave. (laughs) And so they've got that, that thought process where they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof because they've never really seen a down 
time. Yeah, to be fair, if you're less than 40 years old, you haven't really seen that side of it. Uh, yeah. I started with the class of 36 and graduated with 14, and they all left the school I was in because the, the agriculture folded up in that part of the state. And yeah. They all had to go get jobs elsewhere. So I don't know if we're scarred by that or more wise because of it, but we yeah. cer- certainly saw it happen. Um, as those people, you know, you mentioned the folks are a little more conservative because they do recall that. Um, one thing I'm getting to do a lot of anymore is talk about estate transition, uh, ownership transition, management transition within a family. Do you Are you used as a tool for that occasionally with the sales? Or Yeah, we are. Uh, and again, you know, the emotion part of it, you know, gets tied up and it's like no other industry I've ever seen because we there are generational farms and ranches, you know, and there a lot of undivided interest, a lot of LLCs, a lot of corporations that need to be dealt with. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, the challenge of having those conversations is a lot of dynamics come into play there. Um, does it keep things, make sales harder? Does it make sales more frequent for you? Some because people have to sell to, to split up and there's a lot of options out there anymore that maybe weren't there 10 years ago when it comes to yeah. uh, family operations. Uh, a lot more people are incorporated, have LLCs, corporations, and they've they've done some planning. Uh, 10 years ago, I would say we ran into this a lot more. Yeah, People are more prepared now through estate planning and the younger generation bringing ideas back as to what they wanted to do. But we still have the occasional family that hasn't done much in the planning and anytime you know i've always said family is hard family business is really hard and agriculture has has been for the most part a lot of family businesses so we get to see some pretty interesting things but that's part of the what i enjoy dealing with ranch real estate is it's families and there's a lot of generational stuff and a lot of emotion tied up with it yeah means a lot having somebody put that much trust in you to help them make that transition or that transfer if it if it happens. Yeah, definitely. So when, when somebody comes to you and they have a, a problem like that, you have a set of accountants, uh, attorneys you can refer them to to help facilitate that process? We do. We, we got in with a, a pretty good group of people that we put together. Some friends of ours, kids we went to school with, uh, just connections we've had. So if people have questions and we don't have the answers, we know who we can put them in touch with. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. My guest today is Denver Gilbert with Clark & Associates Land Brokers. Uh, We've been talking a little bit about real estate transactions and how Denver got into the business. Uh, My next question, Denver, I guess, is I know as a a broker, you you handle sometimes both sides, sometimes one side, but how how do you get engaged in the process? What a people come to you just wanting to buy a place and don't even know, I mean, I assume that you get it from all angles. Some folks don't know anything and want to start, and you're in an advisory capacity there sometimes. Yeah, it's it's morphed into just real estate for us. Um, a lot of times we will help buyers find a place, and then if they are going to run it themselves, they'll need cattle. They'll need hired men. They'll need tractors. They'll need hay. So we help them a lot in those areas. Um, my partners and I grew up in agriculture. We're, we're still in agriculture uh, we service a very big area. We got a lot of contacts. Um, so we probably get as many calls for people looking for p- 
property to buy as we do people who are thinking about selling. And so we got to wear both hats at times. Um, but our business is real estate. We know where the good ranches are, where the good farms are. So, you know, each ranch is different. Even ranches that are side by side are different. Yeah. So you, it, it helps to have somebody in your corner that knows the area and knows the business. What makes a good ranch to sell? <laughs> Zip <of> code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess the, the good ranches are the ones that have been well taken care of the ones that have good water development, you know, good facilities. You can always build a corral, but if you got natural protection, that's worth quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, end of the road properties, they may be really good grass ranches and really good weights on the calves, things like that. But if accessibility right now is as important as anything. And so when we put a value on a ranch, according to today's market, we take all of that stuff into consideration. So your condition of your fences, number of wells, power lines, solar, yeah. all, all those things add up to, to make it more valuable. Absolutely. Now, as a you know, we have flip houses in the construction world. Are there flip ranches out there that people buy and that, that need wells and fences and they can make that investment themselves and yeah. turn it over? Absolutely. Uh, you can always improve a piece of ground. Uh, the trick is to not over-improve to where you can't get your value back out of it. Yeah. But places that, that need water development is probably the best example. Being able to run a water line, build fences, put in water tanks, things like that, that's what will return your money back to you. There's quite a bit of irrigation in a lot of the areas you serve. That, that's kind of its own animal too, isn't it? It is. Um, when we have different types of irrigation, either well irrigation or out of rivers or surface accumulation, and they're all valued differently, but very important, as you and I both know, growing up where we did, uh, there wasn't a lot of irrigation in that country. Now, your area, we did not have irrigation boots, no. no. <laughs> your area tended to get a little more rain, it seemed like, that, than yeah. we did up in Buffalo because you, you guys could grow a lot of feed over there. Yeah. And in this part of the world, you put a pretty large value on if you can grow the feed. Are there folks that invest just to grow feed and, and sell it and don't really operate it? Yeah, there is. There, there's all kinds of buyers out there, but there are people that put a huge value on the ability to grow the feed, you know, consistently. Some just looking for a feed base to add to their cow-calf operation. And Absolutely. Take some of the ups and downs out of that variability. Yeah. The, I always said the, the largest expenses to running a cattle ranch, for example, are feed costs and labor. And sometimes you got to spend a lot in labor to have the feed available. Yeah. But there are people that have separate feed operations miles away from their cattle operation. And, you know, there's some years where you can buy cheap hay, and there's several years where you can't buy cheap hay. Yeah. And on a 10-year average, I suppose it's tolerable. But, you know, when you're spending 300 bucks a ton like we have the last couple of years, you start eyeing that irrigated ground a little more seriously. That does sting a little when you have to write the check. For, it does. For a few hundred cows on $300 a ton hay, yeah, it leaves a mark. Yeah. So labor availability, you mentioned labor. Uh, that's seemed like when we were younger, there was a broke cowboy in every corner that you could just go hire to do a little bit of work here and there. That That's changed quite a little too. To, yeah, it has. Yeah, the scope of work on a ranch has changed a lot. Yeah, there's better equipment, yeah. you know, but two, I, I know for one ranch that I manage, it, it's a bigger operation and to have the people working there that we do, they've got to be able to run a computer as well as Cava Heifer. We're looking for that all-around person. 
and they're out there. There's a lot of very capable people. The downside to that place in particular is it's 60 miles from town. And, you know, if you're going to have a family, it's tough to have kids that far from school. Um, not a lot of people want to live that far away from Walmart. And if example. you want to be that far away, you probably want to have internet access of some sort. <laughs> yeah, and actually, we have high speed out there. Oh, I'll be darned. <laughs> so thanks to Obama and his shovel-ready a few years ago, uh, we won't get into politics. That's the one but, good uh, thing that he did. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, that the, the it has changed in the fact that, you know, ranching is not one of the first lines of work that jumped into the 21st century. You know, we still do a lot of things old school horseback, yeah. you know. But they're, as you know, in the banking industry, it's better if you've got all your books on QuickBooks, for yeah. example, instead of receipts in a shoebox for your accountant. You know, uh, all of a sudden, bankers are your partners and treat as, treated like a partner, which is a great thing. And the speed with which we can deliver product today is way better than it was back then. Absolutely. Especially if you, you, know, you give us good records, we can turn around and give you a decision yeah. in minutes if we have to wait three months to get something you don't quite have done yet drags it out but that's yeah. not convenient technology is there not a lot of people are using it and it's i think it's an age deal you know i've got a smartphone what they call a smartphone in my pocket i use it for phone calls sending emails getting texts checking the weather checking stock prices you know commodities see what live cattle and feeder cattle are doing yep. corn's doing and i'm seeing a lot in farming especially the the technology with farming is light years where it was 10 years ago or when you and I were growing up. Yeah. Ranching is still catching up. I think the one of the biggest advancements in, in ranching has been uh, genetics for yeah. the cattle, obviously. So where it's going from here, I don't know, but that's one of the drawbacks and not having a lot of young people in the industry or not as many as we should yeah. as we rely on the younger generations to bring those things into the industry. A lot of times we need that younger generation to provide the labor as well. Okay, True. It does get harder to pull your socks on in the morning when you get over yeah, exactly. a certain age. Yeah. Uh, so do you see methods or have you seen anyone capitalize on a method yet to transition into the younger generation for their operation that has a pattern that you can, can repeat or is it just place by place? It's place by place. Everybody is so different and the dynamics of the operation is so different that there are some similarities from ranch to ranch or farm to farm, but not very many. If I could give you homework, it'd be go home and figure that out yeah. and come back in a year and tell me how we do that. Exactly. And apply it from one location to the next or one ranch to the next and yeah. and have it be successful because that's a, a question I get asked repeatedly. And I've yet to come up with a good solution because, like you say, it's, it's place by place. Yeah. Um, I think today in ranching, and correct me if I'm wrong, but treating it as a business is more important now than it's ever been. And, you know, we're conservative by nature, but I would say today keeping control of your expenditures has never been more important than it is right now. You know, our income, what we get for our product, if, if it was in comparison to everything else in the world, cheeseburgers would be $100. Yeah. Cheeseburgers can't be $100 because it's food and we have to keep it affordable. So we have to learn how to deal with the rising costs and the not rising revenues. Yeah, we've heard a lot about inflation in the last 12 months, and that, that inflation applies from, obviously, fuel, which is a huge input for, for us uh, in the ag industry. Fertilizer, another big input that affects livestock prices because the cost of corn. 
but uh, just insurance, uh, things of that nature that they have to rise to because all the support industries that, that go into them cost more every day. Um, I don't know that we sold cattle over a dollar maybe one time before the 80s, um, and it kind of disappeared for a while. We've been over strongly over a dollar for 10 years now. Yeah. I'd sure hate to t- take that dip back. <laughs> what <Yeah>. we do. <laughs> and we're in a cyclical business. You know, cattle rise and fall, grain prices rise and fall. But what we use in our business doesn't seem to fall much. It continues to rise. So what do you see coming in the next 10 years? I see, well, I guess it's hard for me to say and hard for me to admit, but I see bigger places coming, bigger operations. You know, it's the economy of scale, I guess. You know, and it seems to be drifting towards that. Production agriculture, especially in the cow-calf deal, it's, in my mind, really not a truly capitalistic venture because there's a lot of outside off-farm income that supports the operation. Yeah. You know, and it... Almost a necessity anymore. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't see a hardware store downtown where where the one of the spouses has an off has another job yeah. to support the hardware store. Yeah. You know, it's it's a rarity, it's a different animal, but they don't write songs about owning a hardware store. <laughs> they write songs about being a cowboy, running cows, riding horses. So that's that's kind of a detriment to our business at times. I'm your host, Clay Berkland, and again my guest today is Denver Gilbert with Clark and Associates Land Brokers. Uh, Denver lives up just east of Billings for several years now, I guess, but you are back in town for the stock show. Uh, off mic, you were telling me how much you enjoy coming back for this. Uh, you've had the same booth for how many years now? Man, we started back in 05, you know, so we've been here a long time, and there isn't a better show in the country for us to see everybody that we want to see. Same people you're in. Yep, visit. absolutely. We've had our booth the same spot for a long, long time. Everybody kind of knows where it is. It's right on the corner, and, and we got several chairs and a big booth, and people come in and spend an hour there just talking. But it's good. I get to see people I don't get to see any other time of the year. The, the Nile, it doesn't draw, draw the kind of traffic for you this does comparatively? No, the Nile's got a trade show, but it's an altogether different animal. Yeah. It's in the fall. Uh, everybody's shipping. It's football season, hunting season, weaning. Everybody's busy, and they don't, they don't make it in to make it an annual deal like the like the stock show here in town. You know, this is kind of the last outing for a lot of people before they start calving. Yep. And they, there's anything in the world that you want to see right here. They got, you know, bronc riding, they got rodeos, they got cattle shows and bull sales, just everything that's involved. There's so much to see and do, and people make this an annual trip. Yeah. It, it's a heck of an event to... The community is very fortunate to have, and I know they realize it because they support it exceptionally well. Uh, the, the new Monument Center's testament to that. I think it it's doing very well for us. A lot more floor space to to get folks like you doing the the trade show. Uh, you're uh, a lot of pressure on you. You're I don't know third guy I've had from Harding County be on this. I think I had <laughs> Sam Olson, Billy Clanton, legendary Ted Thompson. Yeah, good stories you can share with me. Uh, a lot of the stories that took place in Harding County, you can't really mention it anywhere else, <laughs> and people might take it the wrong way. But I was very fortunate to grow up where I did. Uh, Western South Dakota is like no other place in the world. Uh, been all over, and 
it there really isn't any other place like it. So that's a topic of conversation we have routinely over coffee. Is I agree, it's a great place. Maybe the the last best place is. Yeah. Some have tried to take the name. Uh, are we going to keep getting pushed on by California, Western Montana? Are we still undiscovered, or have we been discovered in this part of the world yet? And they're slowly leaking in. Oh, I think. I think it's been discovered. You know, the politics here, as much as anything, is what's been in the spotlight lately. You know, we've got a good governor. We're still conservative by nature. It's it's a lot of everything the country wishes it was still, and there's a lot of good people. You can leave your door unlocked. You know, you don't have to worry about stuff getting stole. Your kids can wander around the Civic Center, for example, by themselves, and you don't worry that they'll disappear. Meet you back at Denver's booth in an hour. Exactly. <laughs> You know, and you just don't see that much more anywhere else. It is hard to beat, and it makes it pretty easy to sell real estate in this part of the world, I guess. It does. That's an upside. I appreciate your time today, Denver. Uh, we've been trying to pull this off for about a year and a half now, and we finally got it done. Yeah. Yeah, our busy schedule's finally <laughs> meshed. I appreciate you having me in. It was good Good to see you. Yeah, good visit. Thank you, Denver. Thanks, Quake. Pioneer Bank and Trust. Member FDIC.